Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If you're a guest here with us, my name's Jeff, and uh, welcome. We're really glad that you uh, have joined us here this morning. Well, the nights before I teach, I tend to go to bed embarrassingly early, I must admit. And um, last night was a challenge, I'll tell you what. My dreams were very warlike, you know, and, uh, but really, I hope you had a, a great 4th of July. I hope you got all your digits, and um, it's, it's good, to be, good to be here, good to be together this morning. Well, many of you, along with the leadership of our church, have been really thoughtfully processing uh, the significant decision that the Supreme Court handed down last week. And, and as a result of that, I know many of you have been in a lot of prayer and, and much concern, as I know I have been myself. And um, as we've been processing that as leadership, um, we've been, we began to plan this week um, a series, a special series that we're going to be doing in the fall when everybody's um, back and engaged from off of vacation and whatnot. Um, And that series is really just going to hit some of the kind of the harder issues that we face in our culture. And what we want to do as a church is we want want to equip you as best as we possibly can. And so we feel like that's the best way to go about that. Um, So really excited for it. I think it's going to be very helpful um, for you. And and we're we're really looking forward uh, to it. We'll cover multiple issues um, in that series. Also wanted to let you know that we um, handed out uh, or we made available a letter to you last weekend. And you can grab one of those if you were gone on your way out. And that just gives from our denominations perspective, um, our stance as a church where we stand biblically on on the issue uh, that's at hand. And you know, the reason why, um, honestly, that we want to handle this so well is because our mission as a church is, is so important to us. You know, we truly want to be a church that is leading people to find and to follow Jesus Christ. And so for us as a church, that means, really it means two things. First, it means that we stand um, unshakably on the truth of God's word. And for us, that means that we truly believe that God created out of his love and his grace and his mercy, God created this beautiful design for marriage between a man and a woman. And it also means for us, as we seek to lift up this mission and and lead people to, to find and follow Jesus Christ, it also means that we want to do that. We want to tackle issues like this in such a way that it truly leads people to find Christ and to follow him. And so that's our, our hearts behind it. And um, as I said, we'll be talking more about that in, in the days to come. Well, before we dive in this morning, um, I'd love for you just to, uh, to pray with me. And uh, we're in part five of our series today, and which is exciting. And let's just ask the Lord to lead us uh, today. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that um, on this day when we celebrate the independence this weekend, when we celebrate the the independence of our nation, Lord, we've got a lot to be grateful for. And um, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the high cost that that even has come to um, through many people. And so we're grateful for that. Lord, at the same time, we, on the other front, we lay um, before you um, some some deep concerns we have for our nation. And uh, Lord, we know that you care deeply for it. We know that you care deeply for your church and for your people. And so, Lord, we just say, Lord, would you forgive? Lord, would you lead us? Would you grace us? Lord, would you um, lead the the leadership of our country? Um, Father, we pray most of all that this church, that this city, and really that our world would be a people, would be a world that would say, we want to glorify you, God, and we want to honor you with our one and only lives. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. And Lord, this morning now as we open up your word, Lord, we pray that this would just be one more step in us hearing from you because you're that good of a God. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now? And I would invite you, even on your own, would you just pray a simple prayer? Would you say, Lord, 
would you speak to me this morning? So go ahead and just do that on your own. Lord, we love you, and um, we're just so grateful as a church that you meet us where we are, and you know us, and you speak to us. And so, Lord, now we say we're listening, and uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said today, uh, we're in part five in our series in Life Hacks, the series called Life Hacks, and um, next week we'll be tying the series up. And um, as you know, if, you, if, if maybe you're new to the life hacks thing, if you're just visiting with us, a life hack is something that is um, very simple, but it adds value to your life. Um, some life hacks are kind of humorous. We mentioned a few at the beginning of some of these messages, um, like how to make an Oreo cookie blizzard without using a blender, um, how to get uh, corn off the cob without getting your hands completely um, buttered. Um, life hacks are simple, but they add value to your life. Today's life hack um, is a, a one that's really important for us, and so I'm really excited for us to be jumping into it. We know from the scriptures that as we look particularly at the book of Proverbs alone, there are 630 um, life hacks, actually more than that. And, um, and what I love is this. Just consider this for a minute. When we look to the scriptures, God doesn't just say to us as a people, hey, I want you just to go through life, and I hope that you'll be able to figure it out. No. I mean, think about this. This brings me joy. God says, hey, I'm going to give you instruction. I love you enough that I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to, I'm going to lead you. That's incredible. Um, I want to take just a second on that and just say thank you to all of you. Thank you that you're the kind of church that when the word of God is spoken, that when you read it on your own, you're the kind of people, and we hear this in, in, in the stories that you tell, we see this in the lives that are being changed, but we know that God is doing something, that you're responsive to the teaching of God's word. It's inspiring, and um, I love that about our church. You're a people that you are committed to growing, and that's incredible. It's awesome. It's right where we want to be. So in this series, we've tackled some real stuff. We talked in the very first week about what does it mean, our life hack that week was, what does it mean to trust God? And then from there, we moved on and we looked at, okay, what does it mean to guard our heart? What does it mean to guard the, the very core of who we are? And then we looked at, what does it mean to be an intentional parent? And then uh, last week, we looked at the power of words, that the words that come from my mouth, they mean a lot about who I really am. Today's life hack is this. Number five is be financially wise. Now, when you think about all the things that you would want to be wise on, this whole idea of being financially wise is, is definitely something that rises to the, to the top, very top, where we kind of go, wow, we would, we would want to be financially wise. If I had to list the top five, this would definitely make the top five, where we would say, in the area of finances, I want to be Wise. I don't want to just kind of um, hope to get it right. I want to walk in wisdom. We know from God's word that there's a lot to say on this subject. Maybe you're new to the scriptures. You would be amazed at how much God's word says about finances, from um, borrowing to saving to, um, to lending to how to run a bit, all sorts of things God's word covers. It's, a, it's truly, it's a gift to us. Now, when I mentioned this topic of being financially wise, for some of you, you would say right away, at the, right at the beginning of just the, the hearing of those words, financially wise, it brings pain to your heart. Because maybe you've experienced things that haven't been so wise and you've felt the effects of those. And you've kind of gone, wow, I, 
I haven't been wise. And you've seen other people that have been wise, and you've seen them really experience the blessing of God that comes when we are financially wise. But you would say, wow, you know, and maybe for you, you grew up in a home where finances were, honestly, they were just crazy. They weren't handled well. And so maybe you even experience, you know what it's like for a car to be repossessed, or you know what it's like for the house to be foreclosed on, or for the business doors to just be shut for the last time. Or you know what it's like to look into the eyes of a parent that's sitting at the kitchen table, and they're holding a stack of bills, and they don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. Finances can bring incredible stress if they're not handled Well, you might be sitting here today and you would even say, you know what, I don't know if we're going to have enough. I don't know if we're going to get through this month. And even inside right now, you're going, wow, this is a big deal. Statistically, get this, one in three Americans are teetering on the edge of financial collapse. And this uh, this is marked by two things. They're either over leveraged or they're unprepared for the future. They're over-leveraged. They, they, they're not going to be able to make it, or they've put themselves in too big of a hole, or they just haven't thought at all about the future. That's a scary statistic, one in three of us. But we also know this. It's not just a per- personal issue. Finances aren't. You look at just the national headlines just this week, and you see that there is looming financial disaster on, on, the, on the world level, on the world stage. It's a big deal. On the other hand, You talk to somebody who's handled their finances with wisdom, and it can be one of the most rewarding and one of the most, they'll tell you this, one of the most God-honoring experiences, spiritual experiences, really, that they've ever had. I'm, again, I'm amazed at what God's Word has to say on this. And so today my goal is this. My goal is to do the best job I can to present to you God's wisdom on this subject so that you and I can walk away from here and have God's plan to be financially, so we can have a game plan to be financially wise. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to boil it down to just three things today, okay? And so, um, again, what is our th- we're thinking, what does it mean to be financially wise? The first one is this, really the starting place. It's very foundational. It's this. In order to be financially wise, number one, I've got to embrace God's perspective. I've got to embrace God's perspective. And what that means is this. It means that what I think and it means that what I believe about my heavenly father is the most important thing in how I relate to my finances. That what I think about my heavenly father and who I am in relationship to him, that impacts more than anything else my finances, my handling of my money, how I do it. If I see myself as a child of God, a child who has received the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, if I remember that God is not against me, but God is for me, it changes the way I think about my finances. If I remember that God's not out to get me, But God looks at me as a child of of his, and he says, I want you to thrive. I don't want you to experience the ups and the downs and the huge pitfalls that so many do. God says, no, out of my love for you, you're my child. I want you to experience good in this area. I want you to thrive. If I remember on that that financial front, also this, this is very important. I need to remember that God doesn't need my money. I need to remember that, that God doesn't look down and say, wow, this project's just too big, I can't do it alone, and, and I really need help. God could finance the whole thing on his own. God doesn't need my finances. In Psalm 50, I just love how Psalm 50 explains it. it. It says it so well. In essence, it says he owns it all. 
that God is completely uh, self-sufficient, that he, he is not in need of us at all on the financial front, but he says this, out of my love for you, I'm going to entrust you with things that are mine. I'm going to entrust you with them. The best way that I can think to illustrate this is to imagine that I'm sitting across from my heavenly father and, and I know from God's word that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm sitting across the table from my heavenly father, he looks at me as his son. He's, he dearly loves me. He's crazy about you. He loves you dearly. Now, I'm an imperfect father. You can ask any of my three children. They'll be happy to tell you that. But I'll be honest with you. When I'm sitting across the table from them on a date, there's one thing, one predominant thought that often goes through my mind as a very imperfect father. It's love. I think, oh, I love you. And on those dates, I, I like to give them a little instruction. I like just to hear how things are going. But why? It's because as a father to a child, I love them. I care about their life. Our relationship is huge. And so I do instruct them. And so when God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees you. He sees me as a child. And he, since he does, out of his love, he says, I'm going to give you some instruction on a very important matter because I know that the subject of money really has a lot to do with your heart. And your heart has a lot to do with our relationship. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story about this, this son and this father and and this son goes away and he spends all of his, not his money, but he spends very foolishly all of his father's money. And the, the essence, the, the big heartbreak of the story, it's not about the fact that the money gets spent poorly. It's about the fact that the relationship gets broken. And the story, the main point of the story, the, really the celebration of the story is when the son comes back and he doesn't get met by this father figure that has his angry accountant hat on. Instead, he gets met by this father that just wants him to know, I value the relationship, and I want you. The point of this story is that the relationship is restored. This is the foundation. God's perspective. He cares so much about you. He cares so much about me that he will speak to this, this issue of money because he knows how important it is for us. In the same way I instruct my kids, God says, I love you, my children, my children. And he says, I'm going to speak to you about it. Another important thing to think about when we're embracing God's perspective is that when it comes to our finances, it's much bigger than percentages. It's much bigger than, um, you know, than dollars and cents. God is saying this, it's about your heart. God knows that in the dealings of money, there's more on the line than numbers. God is saying, it is about your heart. Your heart is core to who you are. And if, if I don't have your heart, God says, then I don't have you. And again, the relationship is what's most important. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking to a young man who has a lot of money. And this young man comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus an incredibly important question. None more important than this. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus begins to talk with him, and as they dialogue, it becomes very evident that this man, though he has a lot of, of wealth, that's, that's one thing, that's a separate issue, but in the midst of their dialogue, the young man discloses to Jesus that he's been a pretty good guy. 
He's been a guy that hasn't um, broken the commandments like do not murder, do not steal, honor your father and mother. He's done that. He says, I've, I've loved my neighbor as myself. It's really impressive. But Jesus knows that there is one thing that's standing between him and this man, and he knows that it's his money. And so Jesus, looking and knowing that he doesn't have this man's heart, he says to the man, he says, go, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, Jesus doesn't say this because there's anything wrong with this man's money. And Jesus doesn't say this because he knows that if this man doesn't give to the poor, the poor's needs won't be met. And Jesus doesn't say this because there's anything wrong with this guy's possessions. But Jesus does say it because this man's possessions have this man's heart. His money has his heart. And so Jesus says, hey, you go get rid of that because what's most important is you and me. And that's what's standing in the way. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, for where your treasure is, what you value most, there your heart will be also. It's very telling. Um, we have our kids give a portion of their money that they earn to their church, not because the church needs their pocket change. Rather, we know that what they do long term with their money will have a direct correlation with their hearts. When it comes to finances, your heavenly father, it's not so much about dollars and cents. It's about your heart. It's about the relationship. How can you and I be financially wise? Number one, we embrace God's perspective. I remember that my stuff's not my own. I remember that, okay, I've got a God in heaven sits across from me, and I'm his child. He dearly loves me. He cares most about the relationship. And so number one, I embrace God's perspective if I want to be financially wise. And number two, I show restraint. Uh, this, one is, this one is challenging, isn't it? Have you ever gone to the mall or you went to the store and, and the store you really like? And, and if I or someone else had asked you before you walked in, hey, do you need anything? That day you would have said, no, I'm good. But you went into the store that you liked or you walked down the hall of the mall and all of a sudden, you realize all the things that you need. This happened to me just the other Friday night. I went to Shields. I'm so glad I went. I didn't feel like I needed anything. But after being there, I realized all the things I need, right? Has that ever happened to you? Showing restraint isn't easy, is it? It's not easy at all. Good marketing does this. Good marketing creates in you and it creates in me a, a dissatisfaction for what I have and it creates a compelling look at what I could have, what could be true. So again, our Heavenly Father looks at you and I, and he says, hey, there's more on the line than just stuff. This is about your heart. And so if you're going to be financially wise, you've got to show restraint. Because if you don't handle your money, isn't this true? If you don't handle your money, your money will truly handle you. And what's most tragic is that your money has the potential to handle your heart. I love the perspective of the writer of Proverbs chapter 30. Knowing, just thinking in his mind that he could compromise his heart, he has this conversation with God. So he says this. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? And he's saying, don't give me, don't give me poverty. Um, you know, that's one extreme. But then he says, don't, don't give me riches. 
Don't give me so much that I get confident in all of my stuff, and Lord, I forget about who, the, who you are. Lord, don't give me so much that I look at what I've attained, and I begin to think that I did it instead of the fact that God blessed me, that God led me. And so I love it. He walks right down the middle. And again, this isn't about a lot and a little. This isn't about poverty and riches. This is man is just saying, this is about my heart. My heart is most important. And so, Lord, you just put me right in the middle because my heart, I want to stay in relation with you. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Meaning, Lord, don't, don't give me too many riches. I don't want to disown you that way. But also, don't make me poor, Lord. Then I'll go out and steal and I'll do something on the other side. Again, what's he saying? The writer of Proverbs 30 is saying, I want this relationship. That's what's got to stay at the core. I don't want my money to distract my heart from you. But let's be honest for a minute. Showing restraint, it's hard. Showing restraint means this. Even though I can, it doesn't mean that I do. Even though I can buy this, it doesn't mean that I'm going to. Showing restraint means that I spend less than I make. Right? That's a big one. I spend less than I make. Showing restraint means this. It means that I don't see all my money the same. That when my money, when I earn money, when it comes in, I divide it up mentally and on paper. And, and let me give you just very practically three words that could be helpful to you. Give, save, spend. So when my money comes, if I'm going to show restraint, if I'm going to honor God with it, i got to think about it in categories. I've got to go, okay, I've got to give category, I've got to save category, and I've got to spend category. It takes no restraint. It takes no maturity to spend. My four-year-old can do it really well. But it takes maturity, and it does take restraint to give and to save. When our kids get money, we want them to think of those three words because we feel like those will be financial game changers for them. Very simply, we want them to think whenever they see money, give, save, spend. And in that order, in order to show restraint, I've got to be able to say, no, I'm okay. We've got this little saying in our house, and um, uh, before a, per, uh, a significant purchase is made, we just say this to our kids, we say, or to ourselves is also, we say, uh, you just got to sleep on it. And so we were at Cabela's a couple weeks ago, and my nine-year-old was looking at his 49th pocket knife that he wanted, you know, and he wanted to spend all of his um, saved money on this, uh, another one of these little knives that he didn't really need, you know, and and, um, and so I just said to him, I was right there in the aisle, I just pulled him aside, I said, I said, hey, buddy, I said, what do you think? I said, do you need it? And he's like, oh, man, but dad, you just got this too. You don't look at this thing, you know, and he's laying it all out, very convincing, smart kid. And, um, and I said, why don't you just sleep on it? Let's just go home. He's like, oh, the, the phrase, you know, and so we went home and and the next morning, he comes popping out of his room, runs to me. I'm in the bathroom. He runs to me, brushing my teeth, and he goes, Dad, I slept on it, and I still want it, right? <laughs> Showing restraint, though, right? I mean, I can relate to that. I get that. I feel that. I see that. Showing restraint is hard. It's hard work. Biblically, it's described, this whole idea of showing restraint, it's described as being content. The Apostle Paul put it so well in Philippians chapter 4. He says, for I have learned, and I love that he put that word, for I have learned, meaning this, 
I'm still in process. I'm growing in this. Personally, I am. He says, for I have learned to be content. I've learned to show restraint. I've learned to be happy with what I have, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And then he says, I have, here it is again, I've learned the secret. It's like it's, it's a secret. It's like, whoa, if you get this, it's like you're opening this little treasure. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Notice where Paul ends. He says, I, I know what it means to have plenty. I know what it means when I, you know, I've got a lot. And then he says, I also know what it means on the other side. Probably not as fun. I'm sure Paul will be honest with that, honest with us on that. I know what it means to to have want. But he says, you know what, I'm content. But why am I content? He says, I can do all things. I can be content through him. He points us right back to Christ. I love the encouragement he gives us in verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul's pointing us. He's saying, if you want to be content, you've got to find your contentedness in Christ. If you really want to be content with your money, whether you've got a lot or you've got a little, he's saying you've got to find that in Christ. When the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this very incredible statement. He said, very concise, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godly was, godliness with contentment, it's not like it's just a small thing. He says, no, 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 if you've got godliness with contentment that you're able to like, be okay with what you have, he says, whoa, that's great gain. It's great gain. The person who shows restraint is able to say this, and this is an important statement. Can you say this? I will live joyfully within God's provision for my life. I will live joyfully within God's provision for my life. Whether I have a lot or a little. If I have a little, I won't envy the person that has a lot. If I have a lot, I'll, be, I'll thank God for the blessings that I have and I'll steward it well. I will live joyfully within God's provision for my life. That's being content. So how can we be financially wise? Three things. Number one, we embrace God's perspective. We realize, okay, God in heaven sits across the table from me. I am his, I'm his son. He loves me. As me, an imperfect father, as I coach my children and things that are important, my father, his perspective is, I'm his child. I, want you to, I don't want you to experience the pain you don't need to. I want you to experience blessing. Number two, how do we be financially wise? We show constraint, we, we, restraint. We say, hey, I'm going to flex the no muscle a little bit. I, I'm going I'm to learn how to be content. I'm going I'm to grow in that. And then lastly, number three, how do we be financially wise? We invest well. Let me ask you, have you ever made a bad investment? Have you ever just made a poor, maybe last night actually when your fireworks were all kind of going off and, and you were like that one that shot, the one that costs a lot shot up in the air and it didn't look like it should have looked on the wrapper, you know, it wasn't as bright and you're like, what? You know, you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't a wise investment, maybe it was. Maybe you bought something online, have you ever done this? I've done this before. You buy something online and it's a real deal, warning. Um, and then it comes in the mail, and you open the box, and you go, what is this cheap thing, right? This isn't at all what it looked like. Investing in something that does not pay back, investing in something that does not have a good return, it's incredibly frustrating. 
incredibly. But when you invest in something that pays off, oh, it, it's satisfying. When something that you invest in, when it has a good return rate, you look at that and you go, yeah, that's great. Know this, our Heavenly Father, again, He looks at you and I as His children, and He says, this money, this, this money that I've been entrusted to you, He says, I want you to invest it well. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Isn't it frustrating when you invest in something? We see this happen all the time. We really want something. It's really shiny. It looks really good. We invest in it. And then over time, over a matter of years, it starts to rust or it doesn't look as good as it used to or it breaks down or the, the house doesn't look quite as tidy as it used to and not as new and not as fresh. Jesus says to us, hey, don't just store, don't store up treasures on this earth. Don't just put all your stock in treasures of this earth. He's saying, no, 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 invest in heaven. Invest in eternal things where moth and rust, they're not going to destroy. And, and thieves, they're not going to come in and break in and steal. Your investment, he's saying, outside of yourself in eternal things, he's saying that is a wise investment. That is investing well. Invest in activities that are beyond you. That's wise investing. In the Old Testament, if, if you read through the Old Testament, you can't miss that there's a baseline principle that God put in place for his people. And he did this because, again, he cared about their hearts, and he knew that money and things could, could get in the way of that relationship with him. And so right off the top, we see this principle throughout the Old Testament that God institutes this thing called the tithe. And he says, this is the beginning place. He's saying that when, when, the, when the money comes in, when your earnings come in, he says, I want you right away, I want you to think of it as, this is not my own. And so right off the top, 10%, I say, whoa, that goes to God's work. It's, a, it's like a person that's saying, I've been entrusted with 100%. And just as, a, as an appreciation of, of the fact that, God, you've entrusted it to me, right away I give back to you. The, the writer of Proverbs chapter 11 put it like this, and, and this is a big promise for you and I. It says, one person gives freely, yet they gain even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Here it is. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. He's saying that the person that just doesn't look at it and go, it's all mine. He's saying that person, that's not going to go well. But he's saying that the person that says, you know what, God, you've entrusted me with something. I'm going to give it back to you. Most often people think about their finances in, in one of two ways. The first one is, is this. The person says, I'm at A right now in my life. And by the end of my life, I need to work hard so that I can get financially to this place B. And they would say that it's going to take this much of their income to get to B. Now, B represents this. B means that I'm fully, B is the number. B is the number that I've got to get to so that I can retire well, so that I can get my th kids through college, so that I can achieve my financial goals, whatever those goals might be. And what they would say is this, it's going to be hard to get from A to B, and so I'm going to give 100% of my income so that I can get to B. Another person approaches it, and they say it like this. They say, I'm, I'm at A, and I am just as concerned about B as this person. I'm just as concerned about the exact same things that they are. But they say, you know what, though? I've read the scriptures, 
And I believe that, that God, when he says things like he says in Proverbs 11, I believe that those things are true. And so I'm following God's instruction. And so I'm saying to God that when it comes in, I'm going to live on at most, at most, I'm going to live on 90%. Because it's an expression, because when 100% comes in, I'm going to say right off the top, Lord, I'm going to follow your instruction. I trust you. I believe that you are a great God. I believe that you are who you say you are. And so instinctively even, I'm going to live on 90%. Now, here's the unique thing about this person. They also believe this. They believe that when they do that, God will actually take them to a different place. He'll take them to see He'll take them to a place where they'll experience the blessings of God. Because again, they they trust God. They believe that, wow, I mean, if, if God really is who he says he is, how could he not, why would he not be faithful to me where I am? Now, here's the thing. C doesn't always mean more money. And someone who tells you that that would be true, you need to not listen to that person. But what C does mean is this. It means God's favor. It means that when I walk in obedience, the smile of God is on my life. Why? Because I realize, Lord, you just entrusted me with something. Oh, I'm not the owner here. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in a posture of gratitude, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm saying, okay, Lord, you're going to do great things here because you are a great God. Now, here's what's interesting. The person up here, person A looks down, this person up here looks down at this person, and they say, you're a fool. They <laughs> say, you listen to the pastor. You, you, you drank the Kool-Aid, you know? There's something, there's something wrong with you. I mean, don't you realize? It's probably going to take not just 100% for us to get to be. It's going to take more than 100%. But just the same, this person who's experiencing see, who's seeing the hand of God, who's enjoying that and seeing the blessing of God, they look at this person and they say, I'm sorry. Actually, I think you're the fool. They say, man, you might sing praises to God, but honestly... That means that you're trusting God, you're, you're acknowledging who God is and all of that, but don't you trust him with your money? And they say, you know what, I, I would much rather live in sea. I would much rather live in the place where I'm saying, God, I trust you. I was incredibly blessed in this, and, and I didn't deserve this, but I got it. Um, and I've, I've shared this with you before. I watched my parents routinely out of the three, out of give, save, and spend, I watched them give, biblically, give first. I watched them do that, and, and I had no idea at the time the blessing that I was receiving. But I watched, I mean, I can still picture it in my mind where it happened. I mean, I can picture it clearly, but it demonstrated so much to me. It showed me, it showed me that they trusted God. It showed me that they, they viewed their gifts and their talents and their income. It showed me that they had gratitude for it. It showed me that they also, that they believed in the local church. It showed me that the purpose of the local church, it was not a small deal to them. They were putting their money on it. Why? Because they believed in it. They really believed that the message of the gospel could change lives. And so they, so they gave to it. Lastly, it showed me this. I was thinking about this week. It showed me that it's not that hard. There, was, there wasn't like this big meeting once a month or once every week. Like, okay, what should we do now? Well, let's lay it all up. How much is left? You know, it, it wasn't like that. It was just routine. It was, okay, this came in. Boom, that's our decision. We don't have to have a meeting about that. It's just, it was almost like it was reflexive. It was just something that they did. It was such a gift to me. And here's what it did. It set the tone. 
And it helped me know, okay, I want to live and see. I can trust God. There were things that they wanted, but they didn't get. There were also blessings that they didn't see coming that came. I want to live and see. I want to live and see and beyond. Invest well, Jesus would say to us. Last year, Brookside was able to give, get this, in addition to all the ministries that you see week in and week out, we were able to give nearly a quarter of a million dollars to our efforts locally and globally. And you know that you invested well when you boil it down to a face. You know that you've invested well when you boil it down to a smile on a kid's face that we were able to meet just a basic physical need. You know you've invested well when over 50 kids in Zambia are going to get an education through high school. That blows their minds. Think about that. You know you've invested well when you see a marriage that's on the brink and all of a sudden God gets a hold of them and it's restored. You know you've invested well when you see a fourth grader go upstairs. They go into a room that's created for them. And we're creating more and more environments like this around this church where they walk in and they go, wow, this place is awesome. And all of a sudden they're even more receptive to hearing the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, you know you've invested well when you sit in here and you listen to a baptism story and you realize God's changing lives. You've invested well. You know, it's really fun, and I just, I commend you, Brookside, for this. It's fun to hear Steve talk about this, looking all the way back to the church's beginning. Brookside has a track record of investing well, of being the kind of church that says, okay, God, you've given me so much, joyfully joyfully I'm going to give back to you. You're the kind of church that you look at your stuff and you say, okay, God, you've entrusted me with it, but you know what? I'm not looking at it as it's all mine. I'm saying, okay, God, I'm going to give to you. It's one of the ways that we pursue being wise financially. So here we go, three things. Let me review them. Here they are. How do we be financially wise? Number one, we embrace God's perspective. We realize that this subject is not because God needs us. It's because God loves us. And he desperately wants us to thrive. Number two, we show restraint. We're able to look at stuff, and though we might want it, we're able to say, okay, give, save, spend. Give, save, spend. And then lastly, we say, you know what? I'm going to invest well. The things on this earth, they will, they will rust. They will disappear. And so a portion, and maybe even for you, you'd say, wow, I feel challenged today. It's a growing portion where I'm saying, I'm going to invest in the work of God. Why? Because Matthew chapter 6, what is it? it it's going to last. It's, it's a great investment. So let me do this. Let me pray for us that these things would just be true of us and God would help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the wisdom that we can get from the scriptures. Lord, we stand on it. And Lord, this morning, we just pray that you would continue to grow us to be the kind of church that, one, we embrace who we are in Christ, the relationship. It's amazing, Lord. We're so grateful for it. Lord, also help us to be the kind of people that, unlike maybe the culture we live in, we are able to show restraint. And then, Lord, as we think about all that we have, first and foremost, might we say, we want to invest well. We want to invest in things that are going to last for all of eternity, and that's the lives of people, and it just doesn't get any better than that. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we get to finish um, our time together with celebrating the greatest demonstration of generosity known to mankind. 
And um, that's when our Heavenly Father looked down at us and he said, you know what, my people need a savior. And out of his graciousness and out of his overwhelming generosity, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could know him. You know, I always go back to this verse that, that we're saved, not because of the righteous things that we do, not because of the check we can write or the good things that we can do, but we're saved because of God's mercy, the generosity of Jesus Christ. And so our hosts are going to come forward and they're going to pass out the elements. And, and um, I would just invite you just to just spend some time and just to reflect on the the amazing generosity of God sending his son, Jesus Christ. So let me just mention two things to you. First of all, if you're a guest here visiting for us, visiting us this weekend, um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we would love to um, uh, have you celebrate communion with us. And then secondly, just make sure you grab down and, and um, grab both cups, um, and then I'll come back up and we'll take it together. Okay, great.